it was harder for a smaller startup company to get good branding unless they had the capital to go to a marketing agency and do that. But today, there's 10 different ways that you can get a logo done, a brand done, a style guide, all that kind of stuff. So there's professionals and you know there's subcontractors in every genre that can produce audio stuff for you. They can produce print materials. They can produce web stuff. And so the way that you send your message out into the world can and should be at the highest quality. Welcome to the Audience Converter Podcast, the podcast for converting your audience from strangers to loyal fans. We dive deep and discuss how entrepreneurs, consultants, and coaches can level up their business to help more people in the world. Now here's your host, the creator of the Audience Conversion Method, Kimberly Whitecamp. Are you a community leader who's looking to really build your community through the power of email? It's the first chance you have to get in front of the right people, and you should make the most of it. So many community leaders take the template approach, and you've lost your community before they've even found you. How about crafting the perfect welcome series instead? You can grab my guide, Crafting the Perfect Welcome Series, at theaudienceconverter.com slash giveaway. Discover the tips and tactics I use to help my clients get up to an 80% open rate. When people open those first few emails, they're more likely to continue opening your messages, engaging, and buying from you. Build your community the right way with a welcome series that converts. Grab your copy at theaudienceconverter.com slash giveaway. On this episode of the Audience Converter Podcast, it is really critical for community leaders to be listening in. We're talking all about branding and how to compete as if you were one of those big corporate brands that had all of the marketing dollars. Or if you're a brand new community leader, how you can compete against the people who do have huge teams, even if they are a personality-driven brand, right? It's really easy for us to look ahead and see those people who, you know, they sold millions and millions of dollars. They have multi-million dollar launches, they've got a book, they've got this, they've got that, but all of them started somewhere. And today it has never been easier for you to be able to compete with those bigger names because there's so much opportunity. And so I had Shane Fielder on, he talks all about how to use the lessons from the big brands he used to work in corporate and how you can kind of harness that energy and harness that power and use it for those smaller business companies. For us community leaders who are just starting out, for anyone who's looking to portray a really professional image to draw in the right people, right? As community leaders, we want to be able to provide a consistent and high quality experience for every single member of our community. So this is a really great lesson about branding, how to use it to build your business, but also how to use it even if and especially if you're not one of those big name people. Listen in. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Audience Converter Podcast. I'm Kimberly Whitecamp, your host, conversion copywriter, and marketing strategist. And today I am so excited to talk to you about how the little brands can kind of play as if they are big brands without the big brand budget, which is really a powerful tool and very important for so many people who are in the entrepreneurial world who are wondering, how exactly can I grow my business to the place and, and, and space I need it to be without you know, having work 
completely take over my life and without having that huge marketing or uh, big brand budget behind me. And of course, to help me talk about this wonderful topic, I am excited to introduce my guest, Shane Fielder. He is a modern day samurai. He's got a fourth degree black belt in the Japanese martial art of Aikido. And he uses that discipline and way of thinking and has brought it into the business realm. 24 years ago, he started an explanation to find out what made large national brands extremely successful over the locally grown entrepreneurs. He pursued business education by working with iconic brands that your patronage has likely helped build. He also discovered how to apply the big brand corporate success secrets into many different businesses to create those highly profitable results. So Shane, you know, he's got that long history. He started entrepreneurship at a young age in his family's business, and he's here today to help us figure out how we can, as entrepreneurs, grow without that big brand budget and support. So Shane, thank you so much for being here, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you. You know, it's one of those things we, we talked a little bit about a few things before we started and hit record, and unfortunately, I didn't press record that time, uh, but you know... <laughs> It's one of those things where so many of us are like, gee, I, I think I would like to be like, uh, and you know, insert a big name brand here. But then we kind of think about it and we're like, wait, no, I don't want to you know, have all of the responsibility and the budget and, and all of the management needed for running those big brands as well. So I'm really excited to talk to you. But before we get into how you can emulate the big brands, if you are a small brand like an entrepreneur, I'd love to know a little bit more about you and how you got to doing what you're doing. So as I mentioned in the beginning, you said you started entrepreneurship at a young age in your family's business. So Shane, tell me a little bit about you and how you got to doing uh, this big brand kind of behind the scenes success secrets. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting path. It starts at 10 years old riding an ice cream bike. An ice cream bike? Yep. So oh, I'm, I'm Canadian and uh, we, had a, we had a company that called Dickie D Ice Cream back in the 80s. And they had these ice cream carts that were attached to these bikes and you would just ride around the residential neighborhood and you'd ring these little bells and people would come out of their homes and they would buy ice cream from you. And so at 10 and a half years old, my dad thought this would be a great venture to get into to teach his kids entrepreneurial skills. And with no understanding of what to do, I was riding an ice cream bike in the summer of July and, and riding and selling. And, and it was interesting because that ice cream bike taught me a lot of things about being an entrepreneur because I had to figure out how do I sell an ice cream bar? How do I find my clients, my customers? Who are the best customers? And so I started realizing that we all had a route in an area that we would run. And so I knew that gee, if I went through the single dwelling houses, it was a lot slower because they were bigger. It took more time to go down those streets. But if I went to the areas where there was more apartments and condominiums and townhomes and really dense populations, I could have people lined up at six o'clock waiting for me and I would sell a hundred ice cream bars versus 20. And so like a lot of things happened and then our business grew and worked in the family business for another eight years and decided to go on my own. And that was a really good opportunity. Got into a restaurant, cafe, catering business, and then moved out of that. And it was right around 1997. And that's when franchising was like a huge thing. And it was like, everybody wanted to buy a franchise. And so I thought, gee, this is interesting. I don't want to buy a franchise, but what is making those franchises so successful versus the, the local entrepreneur? And so I started an exploration and went to work for those companies. 
and over the next 15 years went to work for some of the best companies and some of the biggest brands, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC, Starbucks. We have a local company in Canada called Tim Hortons Coffee. They're kind of iconic in Canada and went to work to understand how do they do their systems? Why are they that way? Because there was kind of a concern that used to tick me off and it still does a little bit today is when I would hear an entrepreneurial you know, business operator, owner operator say, I can't compete with the large brand. You know, it's the big corporation, it's the evil corporation. And, you know, they just get bigger and bigger and us, you know, they're, they're marginalizing the smaller operators and we, we can't compete. And it's actually a, a really poor excuse because the smaller operators actually can compete in a better way because they're more nimble. They can be more responsive to the customer or the client's needs. They can customize at a greater degree. And, and so all of those things have opportunities laid within them. Whereas the large corporation, they say, this is our marketing plan. This is our product plan for the next two years. They create a calendar. They roll that calendar out and the machine starts and it, it moves at a fairly rapid pace, but it goes in one direction. And so it was a great education to start working with those companies to figure out, okay, why are they successful? And what are some of the things that they're doing differently than in the other ones. So that's how I got going. And, and along that same time is when I started getting into martial arts. And I used to play competitive football and I was going into university and I was thinking, this body is not going to make the NFL or the CFL. <laughs> so why wreck my body by the time I'm 30 years old? Let's do something different. And back in school years, I'd ha had an introduction to judo and I knew that martial arts was kind of appealing. So I went and I found a Aikido Dojo and went and met the sensei. And next thing you know, I'm training in Aikido and I had a desire to become a black belt martial artist, which actually at the time was a very funny thing if you would have known me, because at the time I was 240 pounds, very out of shape. And my girlfriend at the time, she fell on the ground laughing in just huge laughter. And she's like, you martial arts? And like never. So that was kind of an indication that that relationship probably wasn't going to go very long term. Oh my. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was the funniest thing, right? But guess what? A couple of years later, her and I crossed paths and she said, hey, are, are you, what are you up to? Are you still doing like working here, working there? Yeah, sure. And I said, yeah, and I'm still doing Aikido. And she said, really? Oh, I didn't expect it. And at that point, I'd lost about 40 pounds. And she's like, oh, you're looking good and things like that. And, and it was just like, that's where I started learning about structure and consistency in business and in personal life, but through martial arts. And so the two were an education that I started almost hand in hand. I can definitely see where the, the structures of martial arts can really translate to what you like to call the work-life harmony. I've done quite a few different uh, intros, if you will, to martial arts throughout the years. I actually learned from a shufu, uh, as we called them, uh, yeah. from Kung Fu in, uh, in China when I lived there. And it was very interesting to be like, I'm thinking how difficult it was for me to like twist my body to do some of the moves and stuff. And then I realized the person <laughs> teaching me was probably in his 70s. And I was like, oh, well, maybe it's not so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that guy in his 70s probably started when he was 10 years old. 
Exactly, exactly. And it's also, um, as you said, right, there's a lot of discipline to it. There's a lot of mental game as well as the physical game. And I loved what you said about, you know, don't wreck your body, but also don't let anything else wreck your life or your body. Don't let that one thing be the driving force, but also be the driving force to like not being able to go into the future, like what you were talking about with football. So I can definitely see where the the martial arts kind of uh, worked in with the business stuff. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you know, I, it's it's a great uh, intro, what you were talking about, the ice cream bikes. Uh, we don't have such an animal here in the United States. We do have ice cream <laughs> trucks, uh, yep. but they are not nearly as a staple as they used to be, for sure. Same, so same with me, us, yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you said something really interesting, which is that the smaller business actually do have an advantage because they're nimble. And that is something I, I had touched on at the very beginning when I said, you know, if you if you are running one of those big corporations or one of those big brands, then there's just so many different things that you can't really, you know, have a lot of place for innovation. So tell me a little bit more about, you know, why you feel smaller is better and, and what kind of advantages entrepreneurs can bring to the game. Yeah. So before I do that, let me introduce one trap and that'll kind of set up the the conversation. So the trap is inconsistency. And so, like I was saying earlier, a lot of those entrepreneurs that feel like the big corporation has something over them is that the big corporations are consistent. They were a small company that got started in someone's garage or a small shop or something and one coffee shop, and they, they were consistent about how they delivered their product. And then when it became so popular, they were forced to scale. They had to bring in people and processes and systems to actually make the consistency continue. Otherwise, they know that they would be out of business. And that's how small companies grow into big companies. So the first thing I always encourage leaders of businesses and owners and operators is to ask, how consistent are you in delivering a consistent product or experience to the customer or the client? So once we get that worked out and they, they go away and they usually realize that there could be an inconsistency in how the product is presented, like in the food business, the big companies, they weigh everything. They make sure that everything's done to a standardized recipe. But in Kathy's Kitchen Cafe, she might just kind of make the sandwich one day on a Monday good and next day on a Wednesday, not so good. And, you know, five ounces on a Monday in the meat and Wednesday it's four ounces. And, and so that leads to inconsistencies, right? So if we can diagnose and find out where in your business, are you inconsistent in the delivery of that experience or that service or end product? That's the, the number one thing to start with. But just as consistency happens for the large companies, large companies are mostly locked into that consistency. So you go somewhere and you can order off the menu. And if you go to McDonald's, you know what it's going to be like. I've been to McDonald's in North America. My wife and I went to McDonald's in Japan and she was shocked that it was the same hamburger. Well, they figured it out. So that's good. <laughs> but then there's a lot of local hamburger shops that they can, they can be more creative. And they can still create a consistent burger, but now they allow you 12 different toppings that you can choose from, seven different sauces, and you know, build your own burger idea. And that is the nimbleness that a local operator can bring to the table. And I've seen different clients who have regional businesses across the country and in different markets, they can cater and tailor the business to the local market. So they can take a core product and they can advertise it in a way that's acceptable to the local market. They're not just taking a national campaign approach like a larger you know, national company would. So once we get consistency out of the way, now we can start asking about how do we leverage the things that the large company can't do? 
So if they can't customize, how can you customize? If they can only offer the product in a couple sets, like a small, medium, large, can you offer tasters? Can you offer a larger format? Can you offer something different? Some places and businesses are very structured to the, the physical square footage and you know the de- ge- geography of the location. Maybe you aren't. And so you know we've seen mobile operations. Like I, I've worked with people over the years that run mobile car washes. And they'll come to your driveway and they will wash your car on your driveway and they'll detail it. And it saves you a lot of time and inconvenience of having to take it to a detailing center and a wash center. And, and so there's a lot of different things that they can do that a larger company couldn't. So I think that's, that's a starting point that I think everyone needs to really cue into. And, and it's possible. And I think the one thing that's interesting to tie back to martial arts is that in martial arts, we have the white belt principle. Everybody starts as a white belt. And what I love about martial arts is it's one of the few places, church and martial arts are kind of the two places that I've found that you can get a very interesting cross-section of people together in one place from all walks of life who in their day-to-day life would never probably cross paths. But in the dojo, you can have the CFO, the CEO, a janitor, somebody that's you know a home educator all in the same place, same space, learning the same thing with the same goal. And what I love about the white belt is that it, it's a starting point, but it reminds the senior students that you also started as a white belt. So I think for the smaller businesses and entrepreneurs out there, they have to remember that all large corporations at some point started off at the same place they are. And Definitely. so they leave a lot of clues. So how did, if you can deconstruct, how did McDonald's become McDonald's? How did Starbucks become Starbucks from the one coffee shop in Seattle to national across the world. And then, and then it's really a decision. Do you want that for your business? Are you happy to get to a certain point and say, I've reached X gross revenue. I'm making Y profit and I'm happy with that. Is your intention to sell the business? So now, okay, let's scale the business, make it more valuable and then sell it. So there's a lot of, lot of factors and decisions that, that owners and operators have to go through. Absolutely. And one of the things to always keep in mind as well is that, you know, you touched on quite a few really great ideas. Number one is consistency. And not only is it consistency in how you talk about the product and how you show up, but also in the way that other people are experiencing the product, the way that uh, you're putting it out into the marketplace, for example. You know, that's why a lot of bigger companies uh, per se have what we call a style guide in marketing. So these are the five different phrases or five different ways you can talk about this particular product. These are the words we don't use to describe the product. But it also speaks to creating that branding and that consistent experience for your buyers and for your clients because then they kind of know what to expect, right? Your, your wife was shocked at the McDonald's uh, in Japan, tasting exactly the same as McDonald's in the United States. I can't say that I've had a McDonald's in any country in the last 10 years uh, because I'm not a fan of fast food <laughs> for the most part. But KFC, I have, or Pizza Hut, I have uh, yeah. in several different countries. And it's true, right? You, you go to the other places and they do, some of them have a local flavor. Some of them have a local flair, you know, In America, Pizza Hut is a place you order in and they deliver it to your door for the most part. But in China, it had a maitre d' and it was like fine dining with a fork and knife and, you know, waiters and like pressed uniforms. (laughs) It was very interesting. And they put corn and tuna on pizzas, which I had not really seen before. So that was fun, too. Um, And and the definition of vegetarian changed between who you were talking to. (laughs) But, you know, it's really important 
to be consistent when talking about your business. And it's not just consistent in your marketing. It's not just consistency in the way you talk about your product, but it's also inconsistency in how you put your efforts into your business so that your business doesn't start to take over everything too. Right. Yeah. And, and what you said there, the couple of things that came to mind is that the barrier to entry is also at its all-time lowest. So if you look back 10 or 15 years ago, the barrier to entry for business was quite high. To try and create a brand, you needed to hire a very specialized brand designer, graphic designer. And my wife is a, a brand specialist graphic designer. Well, she went to university and took seven years of education back in the you know late 90s, early 2000s to become that. And you went and you know, typically only the large marketing companies or the large companies that had a national budget could afford people like that. So it was harder for a smaller startup company to get good branding unless they had the capital to go to a marketing agency and do that. But today, there's 10 different ways that you can get a logo done, a brand done, a style guide, all that kind of stuff. So there's professionals and you know there's subcontractors in every genre that can produce audio stuff for you. They can produce print materials. They can produce web stuff. And so the way that you send your message out into the world can and should be at the highest quality. So to replicate quality is the second factor of how do you emulate a, a big brand is you go out and say, well, one of the things that the big brands do is they have consistency of deliverability of the product and the experience. They have a customer service delivery as well. They're consistent in a set level. And whether you like it or not, whether they choose to do website only or call center service or in-person telephone answering, you can replicate those things as well. But then when you go to how does the product look and feel and is that consistent across the brand, there's really no excuse today to not be able to look like a large brand. And especially with websites and the way you can create a website, the way you can do your content marketing, the way you brand all of that, you can look just as good as the large brands today and you can deliver a better experience, which will get you more referral marketing happening and other, other systems that'll fire for you. So I think that that's, that's an important thing that people have. Sometimes they forget about that, that access to capital and human capital. Definitely. Such such a true story. I mean, I've been doing this for about five years now, and the leaps and bounds that have come into play just in the last five years in terms of online marketing, in terms of tools you can use, in terms of the different methods that you can choose to, to create something, you know, it's, it's mind-boggling. In fact, I, I did an episode uh, earlier this year on how, you know, you can get started without a website, but still have a web presence, which was not something that was really possible even a few years ago. But now it's like you, you want to have that website because you want to be found online. It used to be no one knew or needed a website. And now it's kind of like a de facto thing if you want to be found and you're not just serving like the local you know, the local workers around the corner, if you're a restaurant, if you want to be found, you have to be online somewhere. So there's just so many different tools and resources at your fingertips right now that there really has never been a lower barrier to entry, which I find really great. So, you know, what would you say about, you know, we've talked about consistency and we've talked about, you know, making sure to deliver on what you're talking about, what would be that, that last bit about, you know, what is the, that one last key for people to emulate the big brands, but not lose themselves to the, the big corporate giants, if you will? Yeah. Three words, structure equals freedom. So you have to have the right structure in your business, which is a strategy. You have to understand how you're going to deploy the business, the product, the service, 
what kind of experience are you willing to create? And then once you have that in place, then you just work the systems continually. And for some people, it becomes a little boring and they have to fight to keep consistent with working the structure because it will give you the freedom that you're looking for. It'll give you the flexibility that you're looking for. So I think that's a key takeaway is if there's something not working either in your personal life or your business life, I would challenge you to go back and say, what's the structure supporting that system or that the way you're going to accomplish something? And you'll either find a structure that can be optimized and improved, or you'll find no structure and you can install a structure and you will get greater results as a result of that. Very powerful and very true. Processes and structures, it's one of those things that I feel a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, we're, we're free spirits, so we want to be super innovative, so we don't want to follow any kind of strict rules. But at the end of the day, when you have processes in place, when you have structure in place, when you have a few rules in place, just by saying, you know, when somebody signs up for like your email list, the rule is they're going to receive an email from you within 30 seconds. And the way that happens is through an automated system. You know, having those things in place is really powerful. And it, it makes it so that we have more of that free time to be innovative, to be creative, to have a little bit more of that freedom. And it's, it's one of those, uh, what's the term, oxymorons? Yeah. And you, you made a really great point just to, to touch on that is always start at a postage size stamp on something. So if you think about an envelope and think about how many postage stamps could you put on an envelope, maybe a hundred, just start with the first one. So like you mentioned, the autoresponder, just have a autoresponder and then see how that works. And then down the road, you can say, what happens if we create an autoresponder series where we create four or five more messages that takes the client or the customer, or the prospect on a journey to learn more and understand and like you. Then that's the second postage stamp. And then you can say three or six months down the road, how do we scale that up to another six or eight messages with a different call to action? And that's how you build. And that's how the small companies become big is that they've done it the postage stamp method for a long time. And so I think that's a, it's a great thing. A lot of people say, well, I can't do it unless I have a 37 email message autoresponder series. No, just get the first one meant going, like you said make sure the tone is consistent with the rest of the business and then evaluate it for a while and then go and think about how do I do four or five more messages. And then over time, you just layer it on and, and it'll have great results. Absolutely. That's kind of what I teach in my audience conversion method uh, approach as well, is that you have to master one, whatever that one is, right? Are you talking right. emails? Are you talking uh, your branding presence? You know, Focus on your one area, the area you think is going to have the biggest impact dial that in, get that figured out, make sure it, it matches, as you said, right? The tone, what you're doing, the experience you want to give people. Because if we look at things as, oh, I need to create a website that's going to do 50 million things, then we're never going to get the website created because it just seems like too big of a project. But if we say, oh, I need a way to get this great guide I've created into the hands of people who want it, get that done first, and then you can kind of build from there. So, you know, it's about consistency. It's about, you know, showing up. It's about uh, realizing that everyone started, you know, one post stamp at a time. I like that analogy. That's really great. So, you know, we're nearing the end of our time. So what would you say is the one big action item or the one big takeaway people need to, to have from this particular conversation? You know, if, if they're uh, an entrepreneur and they're figuring out, well, how can I make sure to have a big presence without having the big marketing budget behind corporate? What, what would that look like? So I would just ask one simple question. Where's your greatest opportunity? 
And that greatest opportunity is, is the biggest hole in your business. And so you can look and ask what's like, it's a three-part question. What's working in your business? Put that on paper. What's not working as well as you would like it, put it on paper and then decide what's the next step you're going to take. And then just like you said, take that one thing, create a simple plan, create a postage stamp for it and go test it out. I always talk about how imperfect action done consistently over time will lead you to a monumental result. And so that would be the big takeaway that I would leave for, for listeners today. That's a, a great takeaway. You know, I've, I've heard of a different phrasing of that, right? You know, but done is better than perfect. Don't let perfect be the enemy of done. Imperfect action done consistently will create big results. And it's true. It's like, remember that you're starting from that next step, that one little thing that you do next. Because if we look at the whole big, wonderful thing, you know, if I look at where I am now and where I was five years ago and been like, if I had started five years ago thinking I needed to be where I am at now, it would have been too impossible for me to even imagine for us to wrap our minds around. But when we take it one step at a time, it's so much easier to get done and get figured out. So Shane, I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with the audience and and talking about, you know, martial arts and, and how to be like a big brand when you're a small entrepreneur and all of the wonderful and great tips that you gave. If people want to learn more about you and what you do, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, they can go to samuraiinnovation.com. And another thing that I have for them, which is easier, is called nofailplans.com. And it's actually a course I put together for your guests uh, so that they can, it's a productivity course. And I guarantee you that one of the eight plans in there will help you ratchet up the level of consistency. It'll help you take one more imperfect step toward what you need to accomplish. And it'll help you build in some structure for, for you personally that'll allow you to have more freedom in your business. So Uh, That's just a gift that I'm willing to give to your listeners today. Thank you so much for that. So definitely go check out nofailplans.com if you're looking to, you know, find that work-life harmony as opposed to the work-life balance that people talk about. If you're looking to grow and if you're looking to figure out how to get that consistency or to put imperfect action into place so that you can get better and better results, definitely go check out nofailplans.com. And of course, learning more about Shane at samuraiinnovation.com. Shane, again, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. Remember, everyone, until next time, keep calm and carry on. Thanks for listening to the Audience Converter Podcast. For more information and important links about today's show or for access to our website, visit theaudienceconverter.com. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.